Welcome to the Woman Who Rubs the Mountain podcast, a gathering place for conversations and stories of ecological embodiment. I'm your host and guide, Kendra Ward. Our explorations begin with this single question. What happens when we rub on the body of the earth? How does the earth brush back against us? Here we seek an intimacy, a love affair with the land and beings where we live. Let us come together in creative, strange, disruptive ways of relating beyond the human-centric limitations of our current dreaming. It is my hope that by sharing experiences of embodied ecology, our reality shifts, our core truths sharpen, and space is made for a new, old, earth-honoring culture to reemerge. So I'd love to just take a moment to feel into and connect the land, wherever you may be, feeling into the soil and its many kin networks of beings, its many spirits, giving thanks for the way that this place silently or not so silently buoys you in your life. And with that, I am honored and touched to be in conversation today with Fern Lickfield. Fern is a Druid priestess, a fairy seer, an earth diviner, temple tender, magical activist, flower essence worker, and gardener. What a beautiful list. <laughs> she is the director of the Green Mountain Druid School, chief of the Green Mountain Druid Order, and co-founder of the Ecstatic Dance Vermont. She holds sacred space for community celebration and ceremony in honor of the earth and waters, the seasons, and for rites of passage. Fern is the steward of Dreamland, a sanctuary and mystery school in Worcester, Vermont. So thank you so, so much and welcome Fern. Thank you for journey, journeying with me here into, um, I, you know, this morning I was just thinking about how many of the guests that I've had on so far have been from all over the US and Europe and Australia. And then I haven't really been in conversation with anyone locally. And I was just tuning into how this mountain that I live with may be the cousin or the, the auntie or the, the distant relative of the, the rocks where you are. And, um, you know, just, just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the, um, the, the amazing, uh, even from a kind of a material realm, the amazing geography of this place that is now called Vermont, the Verdmont, the, the Green Mountains, um, that the Green Mountains at one point were higher than the Himalayas, and that, you know, these many of these boulders are, are 500 million years old. And, you know, this this leads to my first question, which is, just I'd love to hear more about how you find intimacy with this place where you are, this place called dreamland, and especially from an embodied sense, you know, through your body, how you find intimacy, but also how this place finds intimacy with you and how it might dream you into being. Thank you, Kendra. I really appreciate like how you have 
set this space and the intention of this podcast is so beautiful. I'm really glad to know about it. I look forward to listening to some of the other ones that are, that you've already done. Um, so I have in my hand, uh, an embodied connection to this land. This is, this is my stone that was unearthed here last year. Actually, I've had different stones that I've worked with over the years, but this is my new favorite. It feels really good in the palm of my hand and I've been oiling it and mm -hmm. sitting with it in meditation every day. And, uh, especially when I have to leave this place because I'm so rooted here, I have this that I can take with me in my luggage. <laughs> nice. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I, I do have a very strong route into this place. And so it's, it's actually kind of hard to leave. Um, but yeah, I, um, it's sort of like, where do you begin? Um, I, I came to Vermont in 1999 and felt like I was just magnetized into these hills immediately. The first place that I lived was a rental just about not even a mile up the hill from here. I lived there for six years and um, and uh, right on the same mountain. It's actually the foothills of the Worcester mountain range. And this particular hill is called Dumpling Hill, which I've always loved. I live on the dumpling. Um, and um, on the side of the dumpling looking to the Southeast here. And, um, you know, of course these are new white settler terms for these places. And I don't know the original name of this place, but um, I do know what it feels like to me. And it's a, it's a very deep relationship that I've been cultivating since I moved to these hills. And I literally was like orbiting around this place in a couple different um, places that I lived with always within walking distance of what we now call Dreamland Sanctuary. Um, so I lived for six years in that big old farmhouse up the hill. And then I moved into a tiny little cabin in the woods uh, to the north of here and just was always being drawn by foot or bike to this place and would sit here and jump in the pond and just like lay on my back and look at the stars and dream about this place. It was, it felt very much like a courtship. Um, like the place was calling me and I just felt like such a strong strong feeling of yes, like whenever I spent time here. And, um, you know, for a little while, I would see RVs parked here in the summertime, but otherwise it was pretty much empty, except for the occasional beer bottle. There was a, there was like a, a fire pit up here that we've expanded upon. Um, we've done a fair bit since we've been here, but, um, you know, the locals would, you know, have fires and, and parties and jump in the pond and go swimming and fishing here. And otherwise it was mostly just the wild creatures, the seen and unseen ones here on the land, except for the occasional human visitor. And yeah, so um, Ivan came into my life and that's a whole other story, but I, uh, I like to say I imported him from England. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> although he was very willing, he wanted to be here. Um, but when we started to hang out, I would, I just said, you got to see this place. This is like my dreamland, this place. And he, he came with me and, um, and he fell in love with it too. And he was actually a traveler and kind of a, a gypsy all of his life. And so for him to set down roots anywhere was a really big deal. Um, but yeah, so we started writing letters. We just went to our town clerk and said, who owns this place? You know, like, what is the story? And um and found out the address of these folks who live in Texas and started writing them letters and uh, honestly did not have any real um, expectation of much happening, except that we just felt this very strong, like the land was like, yes, yes, this is home. This is not just home. This is, 
spiritual center. And this is, you know, the work and the play and the passion and the purpose of why we are together, not just Ivan and I, but, you know, this land having its own mission and purpose and plucking us humans because it could help us because we can help this place um, manifest what is meant to be here. I really feel like it's, it's a mutuality of that, of like, this place is very powerful. It's a catalyst. It's a cauldron of change and healing and connection. And, um, and so we are people who can do that and, um, are doing that. And so, um, uh, Ivan and I, um, Ivan is uh, now an ancestor. He passed in 2016. Um, but we, when we had our hand fasting, which is a pagan form of marriage, uh, when we had that ceremony here in 2009, it was a three-way marriage. So it, we married mm. each other and we married the land. Mm. And um, we had three rings made. Each of those rings is a, a braid of three colors of gold. So to represent each of us, and we had vows to each other. We had vows to the land. Um, the third ring, so the ring for dreamland was uh, ceremoniously delivered by Ivan after tearing off his whole Scottish regalia in front of 200 people and diving into the bottom of the pond um, to deliver the ring, which is where it stays. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a dramatic moment, um, especially for the in-laws. And um, but, you know, he's just a wild, a wild man and um, love to love to excite and um, surprise people in various ways. <laughs> So yeah, mine, um, both Ivan and my, um, both of us wore our, wear our rings in our ears. Um, Ivan works with stones. So he knew he would beat up his ring. I'm a big gardener. So I knew I beat up mine. So yeah, so mine's in my ear. It doesn't come out. It's been like pliered in and Mm. um, it'll be there until I go. And Ivan's, you know, was um, cremated um with his body and um some of those ashes are here on the land those ashes are actually all over the world but um we have a fair bit of them here in a shrine dedicated to him so yeah at the core of everything that happens here at dreamland is this like triad of me and ivan and this land and our vows to each other our deep dedication and love to each other and um those vows still hold really strong for me i take them very seriously and i continue to work to to uphold my end of it. So. Well, I'm so glad I used the word intimacy, Um, you know, using that Mm -hmm. word intimacy, because in your story, there's so much intimacy on every level. Um, You know, just the, the, the power of it, you know, it just sort of makes my heart shiver listening. Um, It's really, really amazing. Well, I, I'd love to hear from your own lips and heart what it means to be a modern Druid to you. Um, and perhaps you could also speak to the Druid idea of tending to our inner sacred grove. Mm, yeah. Well, yeah. So to be a modern Druid means sort of listening to the pulse of this place and this time of, of, you know, 2023, where we are, when we are, um, but also with the wisdom that comes from our roots, from our ancestral roots, as well as our roots in the land in which we live, you know, because ultimately our ancestral Druids of the Celtic Isles, the British Isles, um, you know, those, those were our original teachers was, you know, the trees, the stones, the land, the spirits of place. 
Um, and yes, we are far away from those um, places, although, of course, it's all, all connected, right? We're all connected to this great big Mother Earth. So we can we can travel in our minds and hearts back to those ancestral sacred places and groves in the landscape of the British Isles. And I have literally traveled there quite a lot. Having married an Englishman, we went there quite a bit. Um, and and we don't need to because it's in our blood. You know, it's it's also, you know, a part of this landscape in the sense that, um, you know, our our own ancestors are now we've been here, many of us, enough generations that our own ancestors are also buried here. And um, here meaning you know this this continent this turtle island um and that that means that we are starting you know it's very much early in the process but we are starting to become um, um people of this place and you know i do think that that is that is a, a lot of what we're learning about as druids teaching and sharing and um co-creating is this idea of okay so like how do we take you know, this blood tradition, which is not from here originally, and with respect and sensitivity to bring that to this place, um, to bring, you know, the gods and the goddesses and the traditions and the stories um, and the teachings of another place with respect and understanding and listening to what this place also tells us. So it's very much like a emerging um, emerging with honor to the the original ancestral peoples and um, traditions of this place, you know. So we're always naming and acknowledging, you know, that this is this is Western Abenaki land where I live, and um, you know, and we we are here um, by their graces, and we are here learning how to be good stewards, learning how to live within the cycles, you know, and, you know, we just passed in bulk, which is one of the cross quarter festivals in, in the, the wheel of the year. And so thinking about what in bulk meant to our ancestors, which was a very different climate, you know, and thinking about, okay, so what does it mean for us here in Vermont? You know, it's not really the beginning of spring, except the fact that, you know, there's more light. <laughs> it's actually the beginning of the coldest part of year. So, you know, we're having to translate these things and understand them for this culture and this climate and, you know, this ecosystem. What does it mean? What do we notice happening in the trees and in the wildlife around us in the unseen world at Imbolc here in Vermont? You know, like, how do we actually not just like plunk another tradition onto this landscape, but to say, okay, so there's pieces of this that do matter and make sense. And then there's others that are really more about like, well, actually, you know, what I hear when I listen to the trees here is that they're, yeah, they're feeling this pulse of light starting to open their meridians in order to get to the point where eventually sap is going to flow, but it's not there yet. You know, it's not there. The lambs are not going to get born here until next month, you know, and um, so, so there, there's things that are just, they're different. And so it's learning about, you know, what do our trees tell us? What do our stones tell us? What does the land here want us to celebrate? Um, yeah, so that's kind of my work as, as a Druid and as a teacher is like guiding and opening the way for others to make those deeper connections. And really it's so much about listening, you know, that's the core of it all. Us, us humans are really good at imposing, our words and our actions and our wills on the land. And that's part of the legacy we're trying to shift is like, okay, so can we slow down enough to the speed of nature? Can we slow down enough to really pay attention and listen? What is this place telling us? What is, 
what does the earth want us to do now? Thank you. I really feel um, the tremendous sense of the weaving of the new and old together, you know, um, and just the, 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 uh, that little bit of like trickster energy, that little bit of like a playful curiosity, um, in which I, I feel is a big part of the, the kind of the Druid tradition in general is, uh, you know, just being, not getting too, not getting too bogged down or static, um, but just always greeting everything with this sense of curiosity and uh, yeah, just really feeling the energy of that come to life as you're talking. And I really appreciated um, you bringing up Imbolc because I've, I've just this year in particular, I mean, every year, you know, it's that it requires so uh, much more listening here because it feels like everybody else, all my, you know, old friends back in the Pacific Northwest, everybody has got crocuses and, uh, you know, the, the really yeah. obvious new birth coming through. And here it really, it, it, there's just that the subtleties, you know, I'm noticing just a few more bird friends visiting, you know, or like just the, the, that, you know, like, like you said, like that, that shift in light in the morning or how, you know, how the forest looks. Um, so, but it really is, it happens. It, it requires so much more listening because like you said, it's, it's more like a little bit of a shiver than anything dramatic in our faces. You know, it's the subtlest little bit of quivering through the ground instead. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the chickadees are singing their um, their song of, um, which I notice around this time, a couple of things I notice. One is that the birch trees start to drop their seeds. You might see those on the forest. You can definitely see them like up against the white snow. So that's the easiest way to notice. They have these little seeds that look like little bird feet. Um, and so that's one little sign that I notice here in my landscape. And the other is the chickadees start to sing their their companion song, which is the, mm. and um, it's like, they're starting to feel that pull of like, oh, like I'm, I'm feeling a little bit like, yeah, there's, there's excitement again and spring is coming. And, you know, maybe there's some, there's some interest in, in, you know, the, the others around me. Um, yeah. So those are a couple of things I notice at this time. And um, it's, it's important for us, you know, in this cold climate to, to not only like look forward to those those early harbingers of spring, but also to like really allow ourselves to slow down and go into that still place, which the cold and the snow really bring, you know, even though it can be challenging for us in many ways, it's such a gift to just be able to like allow that slowing down, allow the quiet and the the stillness and the um, the paired downness that is evident in the forests, you know, and around us to really sink into our souls so that we can also reflect and rest and dream in the new. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the deepest medicine and gifts of winter are, um, you know, the, incredibly profound here. And the transition mm -hmm. from the element of water to wood from a five element perspective is um, a lot slower here. It's a lot more gradual. And so 
just really having a patience, which can sometimes be challenging considering that the energy of wood is like an emergence. Um, so I think that the letting the dreaming and, and kind of um, letting the energies of the beneath, uh, like really being patient, um, really like allowing that um, for maybe a lot longer than my, what might be like the training being another e ecosystem. So, well, I know that you're also a practicing geomancer and, and for those who are unfamiliar with geomancy, I thought that um, maybe you could just take a moment to explain what that means. And, you know, perhaps if you had a, a story as well, that would be wonderful. Yeah, sure. So, Geomancy literally means, so geo is earth and mancy is um, divination or magic. And so the, the easiest def definition is really it's earth divination. Um, and so it's a, all, there's a lot of different applications. Geomancy, if you look it up, also refers to a particular kind of uh, a different kind of divination system that's more human centered. Um, but the kind of geomancy that I'm trained in is really a lot about, again, listening, you know, learning how to attune to the energetics of a place, um, both built environments and natural environments. And so, um, and again, many applications, um, I don't actually practice as far as like consulting anymore. I used to do that, but now, um, I focus on, uh, really uh, teaching the basics of it to my students in my Druid school and um, and doing some collective work ceremonially with earth healing, which is um, which is really powerful. So yeah, geomancy can be used for um, clearing, balancing, healing um, spaces, uh, places. As we know, there are many places that have been wounded by um, by people. And so there's a lot of need for earth healing work of many kinds. And um, geomancy really often is paired with dowsing. Um, so working with certain kinds of tools, uh, usually handheld tools like a pendulum or an L rod or some other kinds of tools in order to assess the energetics of a place. And um, once we have an assessment, then we have different ways that we can approach that, You know, whether it needs balancing or clearing or healing or something. So um, it's also an active um, practice for building um, sacred space. And I would say co-creating because, because we're working with the land. It's not just about a human will imposing itself, right? It's, it's about um, listening and learning and receiving inspiration from place, um, actually asking, you know, going um, directly and asking for input and, um, and so, so that's, you know, you, you said in my bio, I'm a temple tender. And that is like one of my favorite roles in the world is being a temple tender. <laughs> and I just like saying it. Um, so yes, being a temple tender is a wonderful thing. There are three temples here at Dreamland. Uh, we have a stone circle, which was primarily designed and built by Ivan, but with lots of helpers, including myself. Um, he was a master stone circle builder and built many of them all over the world. And so we have one here that's our main ceremonial space, workshop space, dance space, fire circle space here at Dreamland. And it's like what I look at um, right out my front door. So I love being able to watch the shadows as they play with the light and the sun and 
through the stones. Um, so that's that's also known as the Dragon Temple. And I can get into more of the energetic meanings of all of this if you're interested. Um, but we also have the, um, the what we call the Serpent Temple, which is a seven circuit labyrinth, which is down the hill. Um, and then thirdly, there is a old well, an old stone lined well in the woods that is probably first colonial settlers of this place. Um, but of course, the spring that feeds it is ancient, and um, that has been um, developed, um, opened as a fairy well. And so that's where um, we do a lot of the, the fairy seer work that is also something that is happening ongoing here at Dreamland, both personally and collectively. So yeah, um, building sacred space, co-creating sacred space with the land um, in order to help, you know, creating spaces where people can come to really connect. Uh, that's the idea is that these are all spaces where people can connect with the place. And sometimes it's also the stars, especially the Dragon Temple. That one is very much oriented to the above as well as to the below. Um, you know, as an observation, as an alignment space for seeing the sunrises and sets and star rises and um, and really opening to that vertical channel, you know, the vertical channel that connects the stars and the earth, which is very much a part of this space here. It's like you're up on a hill and you have this sense of the above, as well as like this deep space with the stones rooting into the earth. Beautiful. Well, I'm, I'm curious to hear just a little bit more about the earth healing work. And, um, you know, I'm curious when you go on the land, I mean, clearly you've had many years to create connection, uh, with, with all the spaces in dreamland. Um, but it, when you go to other places or maybe still in your work with dreamland, what do you, what do you bring in your earth healing kit? Like, what do you bring with you? Do you bring flower essences? Do you bring, instruments? Is it just dowsing tools? Like, I'm curious uh, what you turn to. Well, it really depends on the place and the perceived need or desire on my part. Um, the core of it all is my heart, you know, like whether I have anything physically in my hands or in my bag, um, I always have my heart, you know, and so I, that's always what I'm trying to instill also is like, you know, the tools are great, but they're not necessary. You know, they are um, just an extension of our own love and desire to be in service and reciprocity with the place. And ultimately, none of them are necessary. They are helpful, but not necessary. So, you know, like I'm always forgetting things. <laughs> And, um, you know, like, luckily I can body douse. So I also usually have my body with me. So mm. that's good. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so, so that's, that's just what it is, you know? So like, I have songs, I have um, uh, chants that I sing. I have love and prayer and different breath breathing techniques that are very much about enlivening land and water. Um, so that's always there. And I, I, you know, like, it's not, it's not something I forget because it's just in me now. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, like yesterday I went to the well and I brought a bottle of some fresh home brewed kombucha that I made. Um, and, and so that's something that I'll, I'll bring It's you know, something that has been made by me, something, you know, like when we give offerings that if it has our own essence, our own effort, our own um, energy in it, that makes it more um, 
better received, you know, because, because it's, it's really coming from our hands and our mind and our heart. Um, and the fermented foods are actually quite well received as well, just because uh, foods and drink, um, because again, it's alive, you know, it's got that active element to it. Um, and so the aliveness, the intention is what's most important with any offering. Um, and, you know, having our own energy built into it. So, so kombucha is something I've been brewing for many, many years and it's alive and it has my intention in it. So it's a nice offering that I have. Um, honey, of course, is a wonderful, um, wonder offer, wonderful offering. I, you know, I didn't make it, the bees made it. My friend down the road is a beekeeper, so it's very local. Um, yeah, so, so offerings, um, as far as the earth healing, um, that is something that I'll do often with a group, usually a group of my students, um, but sometimes in ceremony um, with, with the public, you know, that can be built in. And um, yeah, that can take many forms, but often it does take the form of one of my, oh, I don't have it right here, but I have a special staff that I work with for um, a geomancy needle, um, like earth acupuncture. So and it's got it's got a crystal on the top, uh, quartz crystal, clear quartz crystal, and that that is one tool that is dedicated to earth work. And um, so it's about tuning into the local web, learning about enough to know where is the place. You know, like with acupuncture, it's like not a random place where you put a needle, right? It's like it's not just even on a particular meridian, it's on the nodal point on that meridian. And it's very much like a microcosm, macrocosm thing with earthwork, you know, so we understand the meridians are moving around us in this great, awesome web of life in which we live. And we find those meridians and we find the places that are those receptive places of, uh, I call them nodal points, and um, those places where the, the connection can be made so that the energy that we're sharing can go to the places it's needed. Um, and so, so that's often done with dowsing, although if it's a dedicated temple space, sometimes it's just right there in the center. Um, and that's certainly true with the dragon temple, you know, like that's where we work and it's very well tapped in because we've made sure it's really well tapped in. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so working with essences, um, sometimes working with crystals. Um, I have quite a repertoire of, of flower essences in my um, apothecary at this point. So I'll douse to see which essence is um, called for in a particular situation. Um, yeah, I mean, I could teach a whole big class on this. There's a lot to it, um, but it can also be as simple as like tapping in and sharing love. Um, when I work with a group, we often get in touch with the, um, the humming bee hum, which vibrates the heart. And it's a way that we can all have our hands on that staff together with our united intention of sharing whatever it is we want with the place and doing that with sound, doing that with the hum. And it does sound like a big, beautiful hive of bees when we do that together. <laughs> oh, thank you. That I, I know, I know there's so much there, um, but that's lovely. I think you, you really touched on, on the, you know, tuning into the heart medicine part, tuning into the heart as, as the most important in terms of, um, 
you know, a prayer and intent. Um, well, and I, and it's interesting hearing you talk about, um, offerings coming from us. You know, I, I knew this about, you know, offerings of hair offerings of something related to our bodies. Um, but I guess I, you know, I hadn't really thought about that in a while and it just intuitively I'm always, um, leaving offerings of, uh, summer flowers that I've grown, um, you know, because I feel like it's nice to leave offerings in the deep of winter that leave, you know, leave this little glimmer, this resonance of hope for all of us, not only for, um, you know, wherever I'm leaving the offering, but there's a real big difference in the energetics of when I just leave an offering of bought tea or, you know, um, versus the, the flowers that I was got to sing to and then dry and then, you know, um, wait for just the right moment to leave as an offering. The the energetics behind it are really different. So, yeah. Um, well, I'd love to hear more about, um, the elements of, of dreamland, you know, I, I'm sure that tending to all of the elemental forces and spirits of, of dreamland, um, you know, that, that, but, but I also feel, for example, where I live that, uh, the, the spirits of the East and the wind are really strong here. Um, and you know, that there's this, that, but there's a little bit of a lack of fire. Um, and so I'm just curious to, you know, maybe we could tune into this a little bit more, um, even for those who are not familiar from, from the Druid path, like the spirits that are associated with each element and kind of tune into that a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we're getting into the realm of nature spirits and, Elements and elementals, elementals being those spirits that um, bring life, that embody the element. And first off, I want to just say that they are almost never alone, you know, like just like we are never alone, that the elementals are almost never found in their pure state without the influence of another. So they're like constantly weaving and dancing with each other, you know, and, and that's kind of how it's supposed to be. So to, to meet a, a pure elemental, um, you can, with intent, meet that being um, without the influence of others, but it's actually kind of fun to dance with them together, too. Um, and yeah, in our Druid school, we go through each of the elements as a separate um, quality, association, beings, and we look at them not only outside of ourselves in nature, but inside of ourselves, right? We are also elementally made up both in our physical being, but also like when we start to look at astrology and like, you know, the different components of like the zodiac signs and how those relate to elements and those different qualities that come through our personality because of, because of that, which is also a whole other fascinating study. Um, but yeah, so, so we start with earth because, you know, when we begin something to have our roots under us, to have that grounded sense of connection is just always like such a good foundational be beginning, even though, you know, when we call our circles and ceremony, we start in the East. Um, but our exploration of the elements uh, begins with the earth and uh, with the stones and with our bones, with our, um, you know, our flesh, our, our beingness that is very physical. Um, and, and that is our relationship to the gnomes. So the gnomes are the beings of the earth element. Um, they probably more than any other have been um, 
drawn and you know like we all have children's books probably we can call to mind with pictures of gnomes with little caps on and very fastidious hard-working kind of serious little beings sometimes not little sometimes quite big um and i want to say that across the board with nature spirits and the fairy beings that um that they got little mostly because there was a push to try to make them not powerful um, and, you know, so to to minimize their strength, to minimize their influence on us, um, which um, which is, you know, the, the, it's the children who have remembered them and have kept them alive when the, when the adults thought that it was all make believe, you know, so. So anyway, children relate to other beings that are more close to their size and uh, but they are, in fact, you know, mountain um, beings can be incredibly huge. And you, you've probably met some of them here in the Vermont landscape. Um, they can be in, intimidating. They can be imposing. They can be very serious. They can also be very grumpy <laughs> for good reason with us humans. And so a lot of my work with nature spirits is, is about showing up and acknowledging the harm that has been done and also saying, you know what, like I, I am here to listen. I am here trying to learn how to be a good steward. I am here to um, to pay attention and to give back. And that goes a long way, especially if it's done over time and there's a trust that is built in, in a relationship like that. Um, yeah, so that's that's earth, that's gnomes. Um, and then we have we go to the um, the the south and the fire element uh, and the salamanders. And I always think it's an interesting thing that they're called salamanders because, you know, in our actual ecosystem, salamanders are creatures of water and earth. Um, but, um, you know, the image of a salamander um, sort of energetically, I think sometimes of our little red Fs, the, the beautiful bright red colored um, creatures that are the, certainly the color of fire, even though they are watery, earthy beings. Um, salamanders, I think of as like little mini dragons. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so the fire element is um, very active. It's very transformative. Um, relationship with salamanders comes by hanging out with fire, right? And it comes by hanging out, like we do a lot of work with um, ceremonial fires here on the land. And um, but it's also the relationship with our inner fire. It's a relationship to that um, really strong pulse that can come through and transform us and can um, throw us into the cauldron of transformation, which can be very uncomfortable. <laughs> so fire element is something to, to approach with great respect, um, to understand that it can damage as well as transform if not done with respect and balance. Um, yeah, and you know, there's there's a lot to say about how you know the human race has be, has gotten too deep into our relationship with fire. It's definitely out of balance. You know, our relationship to fossil fuels, our relationship to con consumption, all of these are fire out of balance, right? And so, um, that's part of what, what I hope we're learning is to start of bring bring some of that down and. Um, and come back to earth a little, you know, it's also this like upward, um, this upward gaze at um, what is divine is up there, right up in the stars. And um, yeah, I mean, that is absolutely awesome up there. And this is also quite sacred here. Um, and water, water element, we, we acknowledge that in the West and that is um, 
something that we work with in many different ways. Um, here, uh, luckily I am surrounded by water. We have streams and pond and well here to work with and um, to immerse literally in the pond. It's a lovely swimming pond. So like being able to, um, to actually immerse ourselves in the elements in various ways is another awesome way to experience them inside and outside and around us. And um, so the water element, those beings are the undines. And um, right now I'm reading papers from my students. This is one of my winter activities and I was just hearing yet another story about how a student that we take, we take our groups down to the sweet spot where there's a confluence of two streams, just about a half mile down the road. We do a lot of water work there, especially gazing. We sort of open our eyes into wide angle and like just gaze and open and tune in to the sounds and the visions, like the different levels of sight that we can experience with water. It's movement, it's shadows, it's patterns. Um, and it pretty much puts you into an altered state and many people at that particular place hear singing. And so that's, that is a common thing with water is like, we can get in touch with this sense. The undines love to sing. They love to also hear us sing. So singing to the water is very well received. Um, and yeah, so many lessons there with the water helping us step into the flow and move and change and the power of patience to break through rock. Um, yeah, and then we get to the east, and um, we have our air element, and the air, I was just um, over last weekend, there was some very cold weather, and there was some amazing wind, and I have this view out over this hillside, and I just love watching the, the wind and snow devils that come up. And um, seeing, you know, again, this is this is a dance of crystallized water and air. Um, and so acknowledging, you know, that beautiful dance between two elements. Um, but, you know, it takes another element to get the air to be visible to us. And so the air does do that. You know, it picks up leaves, it picks up snow, it picks up various things so that it can be seen at times. And air is very playful. It can be very fierce, of course. And um, but of all the elements, I think the air is the most playful one. Loves making um, making patterns and um, loves for us to be in our playful self. You know, like I think about being a child on a swing and like moving through the air and just being in that joyful, simple, innocent place of breathing and going, <gasps> you know, like especially when we see things like that, like a snow devil to just take a moment and be in awe and that childlike wonder. That's like what the sylphs can bring to us. So those are the air elementals. Um, yeah, and really like, like everything else, they want, they want our attention. They want us to pay attention. And when we do that, we can not only get into that wonder place, but sometimes we can also build enough relationship where they start to communicate with us, where they might come unexpected and give us a message that we're needing to hear. Uh, that can happen through dreams, that can happen just by taking a walk in the woods and opening our senses. Um, yeah, the, uh, the elementals are always around us and inside of us. And it's just a matter of paying attention. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful examples. Hopefully everyone could could really feel it in their bodies as you were as you were talking. 
and really brings to mind this sense of like the sacredness of creativity. Um, you know, I've been tuning into the the snowflakes as they, you know, tap on the window and, um, you know, the sense that we're trained to see them as these inert, uh, frozen little balls of ice, but instead, you know, tuning into their sense of the spirit that they hold of, of great, you know, mother water, um, and that each of these unique little crystalline miracles has their own essential resonance that they're bringing into the world. And I'm just, um, you know, you've touched on it in a variety of ways already, but just tuning into the sense of sacred creativity in our lives, um, especially when we've already been deeply trained into the inanimacy of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, um, so I'll, I'll frame this in a Druid context just because um, the bard year, so there's three grades in our form of Druidry, there's three grades of study. Uh, it goes from bard to ovate to Druid. And in our school, we have one, one year dedicated to each of those grades. So the first year is the year of the bard. And you probably have some associations with that word already. Um, and again, it's like, you know, the history and the historic context for that is different from how we approach it today because we're in a different culture. Um, but ultimately the bard is the keeper of the creative um, impulse, the inspiration and the expression of that. And um, so that's a really important piece and it is understood to be sacred um, in our tradition because you know that, that pulse of creativity is how everything is made in our world, right? We all have to, tap into some form of inspiration in order to have an idea. And ideas are what create reality. You know, it goes from the idea to the manifestation of that idea. So it is a sacred act of creation. And many of us are doing that all the time, probably mostly unconsciously. And so as as a bard, we're talking about how do we become more and more aware of our capacity for creativity as well as destruction, because it's both. And there are times where creativity is what's called for, and there are times where we need to compost things and let them go. Um, and of course, you know, there are ways in which the unconsciousness of our, of our species has done a lot of destruction. And that is, you know, that's sort of like the shadow side of the, all of this that is part of what we're working with as well. Um, yeah, and so we have something every time we gather on a weekend, uh, we have something called an Eisteddfod, and it is a Welsh word, which basically means like a bardic circle. And um, each person will come with a story, a song, a poem, a dance, playing an instrument, um, some way of expressing the inspiration as it comes through them. And they really dedicate themselves to a particular art and develop that. Um, and it's not about you know, achievement. It's not about getting, you know, perfection in any way. It's really about opening yourself as a channel for creativity and allowing that to move through you because that is powerful. And it is also healing for many of us. You know, so many people have been told that they're not good enough to do something and they've just had had it shut down in some way. Many of us in our childhood, oh, you can't sing on tune. Don't, don't sing or whatever it may be, you can't color inside the lines. <laughs> um, and so it's like giving permission for people to really express and be free in that expression and not be afraid of being judged because it's not perfect, because it's not about perfection. It's about 
opening the channels and allowing that beautiful force, which we call the Awen. The Awen is that um, that force of inspiration that we bring into ourselves and then express outwardly into the world. And in so many ways, it's about joy and beauty. And it's also sometimes just a healing gift. You know, like I was saying, like sometimes I'll just sing a song to the water, you know, and that's a healing gift. Um, so it's all of those things. It can be very lighthearted. It can also be um, very healing. It can be a form of release. You know, certainly there are ways in which song or words or sound or even movement, dance, um, and other forms of movement can be a great form to release grief um, or other stuck feelings that we just need to get out of our bodies. Um, that's another form of creativity. Um, creativity and uh, it's reverse the 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 release the the decomposition end of the cycle so yeah so creativity you know Ivan would always say well what do the gods and goddesses do they create and so when we step into that um, when we step into that ability of creation ourselves then we become like them you know we be we activate our inner divinity and so that's pretty powerful stuff indeed yeah, there's, we have so much more um, than we might realize, you know, there's, there's so much there for us to explore. Well, I, uh, I was hoping that you might speak to modern humanity's in intense belief in this artificial split between spirit and earth, and how this belief is causing just great suffering. Um, but on the flip side, also, confronting this belief holds the potential for great healing and integration between the physical and spiritual worlds. Oh my goodness. It is, it is truly the challenge of our times to confront this and um, so many different ways to do that. But yeah, somewhere along the way, you know, historically and through culture, through religion, um, there has been this imposed um, idea that um, that we are we are at this sort of separated um, hierarchical epitome of evolution, and everything else is our resource, right? And um, and that's 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 that is a lie. <laughs> that is a very destructive lie, and it is something that we are needing to restory. We are needing to rebuild a different way of seeing and being and walking in the world. Um, you know, and I often think about the importance of how we use words in, as part of this, you know, for example, like even just the use of saying, for example, well, I live on this land. Well, actually, we live in the land, right? It's, it's, there's just a lot of subtle ways in our human language that really constantly reaffirm separation. And so paying more and more attention to our words as well as our thoughts is just one of many ways that we need to be dismantling this belief and rebuilding a new one. And yeah, stories, building new stories is one form of intersecting that creative impulse of like, who are we really? And what is this relationship that we need to be stepping into? And some of that is remembering, you know, our indigenous roots, because um, we're all indigenous to somewhere. Um, and learning, you know, doing what we can to find out what those, what our ancestors knew and how they, how they related to the places and the spirits in which they were immersed. Um, 
and also learning again from this place, right? Wherever it is that we call home right now. Um, oh, you're getting to see my cat and my dog. <laughs> I think they like this talk. Um, yeah, how do we, how do we, um, how do we learn how to be human, good humans, good stewards, um, whatever our belief system is? It, it doesn't have to be a particular kind of path or belief system, except that it it is hopefully one that really honors and respects all of creation, all of um, life, and um, makes way for other forms of belief as well, you know, so so as druids, we welcome all, you know, as long as you have some core understanding of this sense of, you know, the earth as our teacher and, um, and the humility to understand that, no, we're not the culmination of evolution. We're actually like the youngest siblings <laughs> in this earth game. And um, so, you know, to have the humility to know that like we're learning and we're learning a lot right now. Um, and we are in this great turning time, right? We're in this incredible, intense change time. And we're seeing there's all of this new awareness bubbling forth. There's a lot of awesome things that are happening that you don't hear about in the news, right? There's just so much beauty and um, awakening and, um, yeah, and different ways of understanding and creating for this new world that's coming in. Um and it's an intense time, right? So we're all feeling the intensity. There's just a tension um, and there's a lot of insecurity. There's a lot of pain and suffering and intolerance and violence. And it's just really hard because at the same time, there's a lot of sensitive people who are like opening spiritually. So like, how do we, how do we hold all of that, right? How do we hold the intensity of the pain while also staying open to spirit and to what it is that we're supposed to be doing so that we're listening well. And um, there's no one answer for that. We each have to find our way. But I think having a grounded, rooted spiritual practice is a huge piece. You know, we, we meditate every day. We pray every day. We walk in the forest every day if we have access to that, you know, even just a little, a little local park. It doesn't matter. Um, but finding ways to stay connected and grounded and to come back to our center, to come back to breath, come back to presence, to slow down our minds. You know, so much of this is also about getting out of our heads and realizing that the wisdom is here. It's already here. And um, we don't have to reach and work so hard to know and to find the answers because they're here. You know, we just have to listen. Um, yeah, so so there's a lot that can be said there too, but I think that we each have to find our path. You know, there are many paths back to the heart of our beautiful earth. Um, and but finding, you know, a big a big key is finding your authentic yes and also exploring what are your indigenous ancestral traditions. You know, we all have them. Many of us have many because we're a lot of us are mutts. <laughs> and so we have multiple streams that we can choose from. And um, what, what, what did our ancestors know? What did they do? And, you know, to, to explore that both like in the form of research and, you know, digging deep into those ways of knowing, you know, through, through research and reading, but then there's that sense of like the, the magical, the visionary, the, um, the dreaming that, um, that is a really important way of knowing too. Like we can meet those ancestors in the grove. We can meet them in those other worlds that we travel to. We can find them and they can still teach us. 
Yes, those that lived well and died well and are are nudging us on every day. I just want to add one more thing I forgot to say, which is that I feel like one of the most important things around the healing of that separation is really when, when it comes right down to its co-creation. You know, it's something that we work with a lot in fairy tradition, and it's something we work with in the Druid tradition as well. Um, and this idea that, um, first of all, we're never alone, you know, whether we think on the visual, on the scene level, we might think we're alone, we're never alone. And secondly, that um, the most powerful magic that we can create is when we are co-creating, when we are working with the beings um, and spirits and um, creatures of these places in which we live, that it is really a collective collaborative process. Um, and because there are ways in which they can see and do that we can't, and there are ways that we can do and um, create that they can't. And so the merging, the, the collaboration that comes from those relationships is a really big part that we have lost, but we are regaining with intent. Um, because our ancestors absolutely had a much more rich understanding of the spirit world. And um, so we're learning and reconnecting and remembering who our, who our allies are in this work, you know, beyond this physical realm. Indeed. Yeah. Well, in, in hopes of sort of gathering the threads of all that you've generously shared with us today, for, are there any offerings or anything else that you wanted to, to tell us about in terms of your work or anything else kind of coming up, anything that you'd like to share with everyone? Well, um, I would just say if this sparks something in you and you're interested in exploring the Druid path, we start a new class every spring and there are still some spaces in the new class. So you can check that out. We also have a home study course that's available to folks anywhere in the world. And um, you can go to my website, which is Green Mountain Druid Order, all spelled out, greenmountaindruidorder.org. And um, yeah, we have ceremonies that are public as well and workshops and dances here that don't require the commitment to a whole training. Uh, you can sign up for the newsletter to find out more about that. Um, yeah, and I thought maybe I could just end with, um, with the Druid's Prayer of Peace, if, if that feels like the right time. Yeah? Beautiful. Okay, excellent. So I just want to take a nice deep breath. And if you're feeling like that's a good thing to just close your eyes for a moment. This is a, a simple prayer that we speak at the end of every ceremony and the connection with peace is crucial and long and deep and ancient in our tradition. So this is about peace. Deep in the still center of my being, may I find peace. Quietly in the silence of the grove, may I share peace. Gently in the greater circle of humankind, may I radiate peace. And that is the Druid's prayer of peace. Just letting that reverberate outwards for a moment here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Fern, just honoring your teaching and your bright resonance. And I just also wanted to say thank you to Dreamland. Thank you to Dreamland for um, sharing all that magic with us today. 
and for dreamlands teaching as well so yeah yeah thank you thank you for acknowledging that and yeah this this place is very welcoming and you can come and stay we have a little retreat cabin here too so folks can come and just spend time in the earth temples and in the woods and the pond and so it's a place that has a lot to offer so yeah a lot of healing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, much gratitude for everyone listening, for spending this time with us. And if it felt of benefit to you, please do consider leaving a review or subscribing to the podcast ongoingly from whatever your preferred listening sources. That way you can be notified whenever there is a new episode released. And may we discover new ways while also remembering old ways of relating and being in kinship as we continue to bring an open-armed adoration and devotion for this wild earth. And I look forward to being with you on the next episode.